0: Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at slash Elite. This racing lifestyle ain't
1: made for everybody. We're a special breed, we special needs, but we all take to no friends on the track, but in the pits we know the truth. And this
0: way of life it's the only thing BTE do. builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item, the professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at BTE
1: Racing.com.
0: Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Chris Gerritsen, James Kunkel, and downtrack throttle stops. Big Jed, how are you?
1: Luke, I am well. Really, really well. Things are awesome right now, and uh, getting ready to record this show here, and then I'll be heading down the Gulfport Dragway to race with Galen Rollison Jr. at the, the Turkey Beach Bash, so going to have a good weekend of racing down in South Mississippi and can't wait to get down there and get after it a little bit about yourself. Well,
0: best of luck down there. I'm sure that you will have a great time uh, as always at Gulfport in any of Galen's races. Uh, I got to admit, I'm a little bit jealous. We'd had unseasonably warm weather up here. It, it turned this morning. Uh, it's not a lot of fun to be in Illinois right now. It's going to get worse. I think is, is the bad part it's been so nice that uh, highs in the upper forties feels really cold. And um, it's, it's going to get mm. colder. So, yeah, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to have an optimistic outlook on the on the upcoming months, but uh, waning right at the moment. Uh, before we get into today's show, Jed, I just wanted to backtrack. Um, last week's episode, I obviously wasn't a part of the interview that you did, the discussion that you had with recent million-dollar race winner, the Rabbit, Kevin Brannon. I listened to it Monday of this week, I think. And um, I got to say, I think it's my personal favorite. And I, I would go so far as to say it's the best interview we've ever hosted on the show. Um, Kevin's, you know, KB, and obviously you were there for the, 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 the conversation. The, it just showcased not only the honesty and the transparency that he had to just very plainly say like this is what was happening and this is what i thought about it and you know and this is how i felt all through that just bizarre situation on into winning you know the biggest event of his life and to just put it in like real human terms and then of course his humility his gratitude for you know the everything that that he's got going for him to be in that situation in the the first place like it's just such a breath of fresh air if you haven't listened to that like stop this show now go back and listen to the last episode i i don't think there are many in sportsman racing who aren't a fan of kevin brandon to begin with but if you're not now when you listen to that you can't help but appreciate not only not the racer but the man like
1: you gotta check that out.
0: I, I really thoroughly enjoyed that, Judge.
1: Yeah, thank you, Luke. I, I did as well. Obviously K B was the the major factor there and everyone's enjoyment that's gotten to listen to that yours, mine, and anybody else. But as you said, the transparency that he had and knowing that there was nothing fake about his answers. There was nothing he didn't know the questions before uh, the 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 interview happened I mean i don't we none of us ever give the guys the questions, so they're prepared. So all of that was you know on the fly. all of it was genuine and sincere and open and honest. It's everything you you want an interviewee to be and and certainly our love for Kevin. we didn't expect any different, but it was still very refreshing and Mark and I, when it was all said and done, when K b hung up after everything was over. Mark and I were like, you know, I think I think that's going to be pretty good. Uh, I think that that went extremely well and was excited about putting it out. And you know, then to hear your feedback and feedback from some others uh, just certainly validates exactly how we thought about it. So, uh, really enjoyed it. I, you know, I've heard both of us be a part of some really good ones on the show. So, um, you talked about it being the best. I'm not sure where it ranks because. There's been some really good ones that both of you have done and, and I've been fortunate to be involved in, but it had to be way up there. It was awesome and I uh, really enjoyed it and uh, certainly shout out to KB for being so open and honest and uh, so genuine and sincere through it all. On that note,
0: Jed, if, if, we, if we remove last week's discussion from the conversation, just off the top of your head, one guest of this show that. Was maybe like the most fun or the most memorable for you?
1: Well, not one that I was a part of, but Bastianelli, uh, you know that was that was my favorite, uh, probably up until KB. Uh, but you know it's hard to rank your own interview, one that you've done as your favorite. So I still think Bastianelli was my favorite. <laughs> I mean, y'all y'all just seem to have a really good time, but um, I, I would say for me, that's it.
0: I'm glad, and you know, you're obviously not the typical listener, but I'm glad that someone that listened to that interview thought that because, as you might imagine, trying to keep up with Danny as the the the, the facilitator of his conversation, <laughs> right? So I'm glad that it came off well. It was definitely a lot of fun, as uh, as you might imagine. I think the one that sticks out to me just because, um. I don't know. Like I've, I've had a personal relationship with Edmund Richardson for 25 years, but I don't know that he's ever really opened up or been quite as honest or transparent with me as he was when he came on the show. And just the stories that he told, taken back in time, like... I just, I left that conversation grinning ear to ear. And I think I grinned all weekend afterward, just thinking back to that hour and a half. Like that was one that, that really still stands out to me. That was a lot of fun having Biggie Young.
1: That was definitely a good one as well. No doubt about it.
0: All right. So let's transition into this week's show. Um, We're to the point in the season where I got, I guess it's fair to say, I know that there are some races left on the schedule but it feels like big picture, like all the races that really mattered are kind of over, right? I mean, the all the, yeah, and the, the NHRA season just wrapped up. Um, obviously, there's some loose ends to tie up and there's some big money uh, events still on the calendar. But by and large, like it feels like that point where we can kind of take a deep breath and go, whew, we, we got through the 2020 racing season, the season that at times we thought may never happen. We got through this last, four to six weeks of just unprecedented stacking of big events huge money events NHRA events like there was multiple things to keep up with every single weekend um it's been exhilarating but at the same time at least on our end like kind of taxing to try to keep up with all of it and uh, that's where we'll go today we're going to dedicate this show to the NHRA finale um the, the season long points chase we're going to break it down class by class obviously highlighted by this season ending stretch in las vegas so we're gonna go through class by class in the lucas oil series plus towards the end of the show we'll tie up some loose ends uh, just because in this melee of uh, what's been a month-long stretch we've missed really reporting at all on some of the the bigger races that weren't uh, the millions essentially so we're gonna we're gonna pick up on the the vegas fall fling talk a little bit about that as well as the sfg uh, world series in south georgia plus we got a couple of random notes to close out the show
1: yeah it's gonna be a great show uh you guys are gonna enjoy it it's got a little bit of everything in it so sit back and uh, enjoy the next uh, i don't know hour and 20 to 30 minutes or so before
0: we do jed i'm gonna tee you up but first
1: p J no Nobody more but he lost count though just remember one thing do you know what this my mayamo
0: Big Jed, the NHRA Lucas Oil season came to a close last week with the final divisional event, Division 7 event in Las Vegas. Champions have been crowned. Drama has subsided. We're here for the show. We're going to go through it class by class.
1: Yeah, I know this is kind of where you geek out a little bit, Luke, and uh, you follow this obviously a lot closer than I do, but I was able to pay enough attention to see that, that there were some pretty cool stories in these championship runs so looking forward to talking about it
0: no question and and no better story no better finish in 2020 than that in top dragster. so let's start there i broke this down a little bit in the the intro to last week's show but i'll rehash relatively briefly coming into the season closing events we'll, we'll take that whole three week swing at las vegas anthony Bertozzi came in as the leader barely now keep in mind even prior to getting to vegas reigning world champion danny nelson staged for the final round at the dallas national event and if he turns on that win light he passes Bertozzi, and now we know would ultimately have won the world championship he loses that round so coming into vegas Anthony's still in the lead nelson and art hoover both had a chance to pass him at their last national event each either one of them would have had to make the final round. Well, at that event that was the NHRA Finals in Vegas, Bertozzi, Hoover, and Nelson all advanced to the quarterfinal round. Bertozzi can't earn points, he's just there to block. Nelson and Hoover um, still two win lights away from surpassing Bertozzi ultimately winning the world championship. All three competitors lose in that round. So we're ready to put the crown on Anthony's head, but not not so fast. There was one driver still with a mathematical shot. It was Bradley Johnson from Denver. Bradley coming into that three-week stretch in Vegas was completely off the radar. Had one of those, his chances were mathematical, and that's all. He had to win all three of the events at Las Vegas, and no one could pass Bertozzi. basically. Well, Bradley won the first divisional. At said national event that we were just talking about, where the three other competitors lost in the quarterfinals, Bradley won the quarterfinals, Bradley won the semifinals, Bradley won the finals. So coming into Thursday, which was the conclusion of the sports nationals, Bradley Johnson was still in that race, down to six cars. Was three win lights away from in the story that started as, okay, Bradley, all you have to do is win 17 consecutive rounds in Las Vegas and you'll win the <laughs> world championship. <laughs> Bradley checked 14 of those off the list coming into Thursday. Now, all of a sudden, what was a dream at best was very close to reality. Bradley's opponent in the quarterfinals uh, does not return for the makeup, so Bradley gets a solo into the semis. In the semis, I don't have the numbers in front of me. He had a hell of a race. He was like 6-12 take to win and needed it. I I think was dead on. So that sets him up for the final one round to win it all or not win the championship. He's beside Paul Nero, not a great draw, right? Former top dragster world champion. Again, if he wins the race, not only does he complete this incredible sweep of the three events on command, he obviously would surpass Anthony Bertozzi and win the world championship. The entire season comes down to one single round. And poor Bradley Johnson. It's hard to, it's hard to feel bad for Bradley because he, he collected three wallies on the trip. He did win in super gas at the one race. He didn't win top dragster Bradley Johnson is 009, take 16 in the final for all the marbles at 200 plus mile an hour. Loses double breakout by 2000. Now oh. he is the world champion by 2000 and I'll get, I'll take a little bit deeper dive on this Jed from the semi to the final. Bradley's car picks up like four hundredths to thousand foot. So it's one of those where you can look at it on paper and say, it's a good lap, but you know, he took 16. Like, I'm assuming that it's one of those where like, oh, there is, I can't go under. Like, just the only (laughs) thing you can lose in that instance is to get back behind. So like, get comfortably ahead. Like it To me, at least on paper, is a textbook job in the biggest round of your life, and the wind light doesn't come on. Like, what a heartbreaker for Bradley. Ecstatic moment for Bertozzi, I would imagine, but heartbreaker for Bradley Johnson.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I mean, it's it's just another one of those tight races and another uh, sun shining on Anthony Bertozzi. I mean, the sun shines on this dude. (laughs) (laughs) It just does. And Bradley, not only did he have an uphill battle, to try to win 17 rounds in a row, but then you have to win all of those to get around – a guy that just good stuff happens to and unfortunately come up a little short. But I'm just like you, Luke. I mean, pick up four to the thousand, you, whatever he's out there seeing, he's thinking, you know, at this point, just don't mess it up. Yes, this is gravy, right? Make sure I'm getting there, but I've killed plenty, and yeah, I'm, I'm about to be world champ, and the wind light doesn't come on. That's brutal.
0: The uh, To your point on Pertozzi, I mean, obviously – Anthony's living right right I mean he, he finishes the season he he led from wire to wire let's take nothing away from him but he does finish the year and, and it's an odd year we'll get into this as we go through uh, it goes without saying 2020 has been a, an uncharacteristic year from, from stem to stern uh, but you'll see the points totals like uh, are in most classes the championship total is significantly less than normal because while we still claimed three nationals and five divisionals, there was one less to get there and it was just more difficult to get to races this year. Um, so the points totals aren't as high as typical. Bertosi wins the top direct for world championship with 546, which is not an astronomical total, right? And historically, and to your point, he weathers that charge from three different competitors at season end, including two rounds like both danny nelson and bradley johnson staged for the round to beat him and neither of the wind lights come out so it's a it's good to be anthony bertozzi like i think that's the moral of the story
1: <laughs> no doubt about it uh, <laughs> and you know and, like you say you got the the reigning world champion that that has a, a mathematical well, better than a mathematical chance i mean he's got a legitimate chance to win during that last two or three race stretch and you know the 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 one that won it before him is in the middle of this thing, trying to keep Anthony. I mean, you know, how fortunate can you be that that you've got a, a former world champion in the category uh, battling out this final round? I mean, just how fortunate—it's former nope. world champion battling the guy that can overtake you, and and the, the former world champion prevails. So it's just phenomenal how how good things happen to Antoine over and over. But, you know, like you said, he's living right. Well, the... That's his entire road, dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. Final <laughs> round in Dallas where Danny
0: Nelson, if he wins that round, he's, he, he surpasses Bertozzi, ends up winning the championship. His final round opponent was uh, a Division 4 racer by the name of Scott Barker, who laid down like nine total. Like, how often do you see that in top extra? He had... He had some, <laughs> Never. Right? He had some help. So... Um, one, one other interesting note from this and it, and probably again, just, uh, just defines, uh, fortune, Bradley Johnson ends up ends the season two single points behind, right? That's obviously less than one round of competition. Bradley Johnson attended two national events. You get to claim your best three out of five. If Bradley Johnson simply stages for a qualifying run. At a third national event, where he doesn't have to make the show he doesn't have to stage first round he doesn't have to win around if he just gets 10 points for showing up he's the world champ unable to do it in this uh, 2020 season yeah so pretty wild stuff absolutely brutal all right let's switch gears to top sportsman the other fast bracket class i think the last time that we talked top sportsman Darian Bosch was uh, in a bit of a dogfight, a three-way fight with Alan Firestone, and I'm drawing a blank on the third. Sorry, um, but Bosch pulled away relatively quickly on the heels of a race that he'd basically already won. Um, what wasn't showing on his tally late in the year was the Atlanta National event, where he had advanced to the final and it and wasn't able to finish. They ended up concluding that at Houston. He was running Sandy Wilkins, who didn't make the trip to Houston. So Darian made a solo for the win, and basically when they added those points to the ledger, uh, no one could catch him. He ended up winning by a relatively comfortable margin, uh, 55 points over Alan Firestone. Darian, young racer out of Louisiana. um, I believe Darian's in his early 20s. has had success in Top Dragster, obviously now success in Top Sportsman. This is only his second full season in Top Sportsman. And uh, drives to a pair of divisional wins in his home division, division four, a national event win in Atlanta, and obviously his first NHRA Lucas Oil Series championship. A couple of notes from the, uh, the top 10 in top sportsmen. Uh, it was Alan Firestone and Ron Regal was, uh, was the other gentleman I was uh, trying to, to conjure up in my mind as uh, one that had a shot late. A um, well, couple of notes from Top Dragster, Top Sportsman. Ed Open, The Undertaker from Utah. Ed Open top 10 finish in both Top Dragster and Top Sportsman. That's pretty rare. Big Ed. Uh, big Ed. And then um, Bob Galitti, who's like, in to, to bracket racers, is the, the forgotten Galitti. Bob would be Corey's uncle, Chris's brother. Uh, long longtime Top Sportsman racer in Division 4. Galitti ended up 8th uh, in the world. And similar to Bradley Johnson, only attended two national events. His division score was unbelievable. He had uh, three Lucas Oil Series wins and actually won the Division Four title over World Champion Darian Bosch. Just wasn't able to get to the national events and uh, and didn't win a bunch of rounds at the couple that he did. But still a top ten finish being below quota, pretty impressive in and of itself.
1: Yeah, and for those that don't remember, uh, you know, Chris did quite a bit of that with Bob and uh, and. To, I guess mid 90s up into maybe the early to 2005 ish, I think, if yeah. I remember correctly.
0: Matt Chris, he was running IHRA top sportsman. I'd about forgotten about that, but
1: yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, so the Glitty's got deep top sportsman roots. All right, let's shift over to uh, Superstock, Big Jacket. Superstock was all Warner all the time. <laughs> yeah, the. the you know, the Warner boys are obviously staples in, uh, in super stock race and, and, definitely, um, this one ended really well for the family The the points chase did.
0: I believe it was 2014 Byron Warner earned the super stock world championship this year in 2020, his brother joined him at the podium. To, uh, to hoist his own world championship, Wally. That's Brian Warner, this year's runaway world champion. He did not leave anything to chance here. Absolutely dominated. Put up a score of 690 points, which is massive. That is a world championship number probably every year in the last two decades in Superstock, with the exception of a couple of Peter Biondos championships, where I know he crested 700. That's the company that Brian's in here. And to do that in a shortened season, a, um, a COVID, a, a pandemic affected season, like he just damn near ran the table. Um, 690 points, uh, had a couple of uh, divisional wins, plus a runner up, one national win, plus a runner up, and just really no bad races on the ledger. The probably... If you ask Brian, I I think he would say that the most special part about this was that not only did he earn his first world championship, but the Warner Brothers go 1-2. Brian, world champ, Byron, second place. Now, granted, there was over 150 points between them. That's how dominant Brian's season was. But I can't remember an instance. I was actually going to text McKenna about this to verify I don't remember an instance where brothers have gone one, two. I want to say Scotty and Edmund might've done it back in the day, but for some reason, what I'm remembering is like Scotty one, Edmund three or something along those lines. I I don't, I can't think of another um, sibling combo that has even come close to that.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't know that history very well myself, Luke, but you know, it's obviously extremely difficult to accomplish uh, any family members finishing one and two, but, brothers like that going one and two in such a competitive category too just unheard of the
0: just scrolling through the points today the top 10 national finish in Superstock might be the most impressive list of 10 racers in one category that you have ever seen with the warners yeah. uh, owning two of them there are five former or current national champions that finished in this year's top 10 with three of those owning multiple world championships. So that's the, the Warner brothers, uh, Justin lamb, five-time champ, Anthony Bertozzi, now two-time NHRA champ to go along with, you know, the 16 or so that he won in the IHRA side. Um, Jimmy DeFrank, I believe four-time NHRA world champ. And the that's that's five of the top 10. The other five all household names. You get David Latino, who finished in the top 10 in both stock and superstock this year. Huge accomplishment. Kyle Rizzoli, who knocked on the door of the championship a year ago. Uh, Jeff Dona and Mark Nowicki at ninth. Jeffrey Miller at 10th. Like that is a that's a stout top 10.
1: Oh, not, yeah, it's an extremely stout top 10, Luke, and, but it didn't stop there. I mean, we won't go down the list and continue, but I mean, if you just look through the top 25, it's ridiculous how much talent and accomplishments on that list, which, which leads back to where I was talking about how competitive superstock is, you know, and obviously in a class where you got heads up, you, you can't go through a season and just drive good. You got to have good stuff and be fast when you got to be fast too. So very impressive for what Brian Warner accomplished, but certainly when you look at, uh, within the, the sibling, um, uh, within the, within the family right out there, how big of an accomplishment that is. And as you talked about that top 10 being murder's row in that category and pretty much any other thing they race, there's a lot of, uh, guys on that list that, that do it on the stock and super stock side. And, Certainly you got Bertozzi winning a world championship in top dragster. So tons of talent. And like I said, it didn't even stop there at the top 10. It it continued on down the list extremely far.
0: No question. Stock Eliminator, Big Jed, was another category that, like top dragster, wasn't decided until Thursday at Vegas at the conclusion of the sports nationals. And in the end, when the smoke cleared, finally, I say that with all due respect because Jody Lang has knocked on the door so many times, seeming a perennial top 10 finisher for seemingly the last two decades, never a world champion until now. 2020 is the year Jody Lang drives his familiar station wagon to the stock eliminator world championship.
1: Yeah. Great to see Jody accomplish that. You know, um, you, you see a lot of, fancy high dollar cars out there anymore in the in the stock and super stock categories but stock is you know it's becoming late model cars that are injected and really fast and good to see Jody you know take I won't call it economy I know he spent a lot on it and and made it as good as he can it's good to see him take normal average stuff out there what you used to see a lot of and, and get it done that was I mean, you're talking about one of the most talented guys in the class. He's raced looking out the back window pretty much his entire stock career, and, and to get that done was very impressive and, and good to see. As you said, he's knocked on the door a lot.
0: Yeah, to your point, not to disparage Jody's equipment by any stretch, but I think the l- list of racers who could win with any degree of, con- of regularity in that category – in simply a car that slow is very very slim and the the number of racers that could uh, consistently perennially finish in the top 10 contend for a national championship even 10 years ago in that class much less today i mean the the what jody lang's looking at in the other lane has changed monumentally in the last decade i mean when when i ran stock in the late 2000s there were you could count on one hand the number of nine second cars and they were 990 right now you've got the the late model factory cars that are oftentimes dialing at times deep into the eights and even the the quote-unquote slower ones run like 10 mile an hour more than your typical nine second soccer right? <laughs> yeah but, and and jody's going the same speed dialing in 12s for the most part like at 107 I think mile an hour maybe 110 you would never know because he never holds it wide open like I remember I don't even remember what the the scenario was like perhaps I was helping out an elite member in like the all-stars or something and he was paired up with Jody Lang and I literally tried to do the homework and I looked at a year's worth of Jody Lang's runs trying to get some incremental time so I could figure out what the hell he was going and I never found a wide open run never (laughs) red light like jody you know who knows what jody lang can go jody lang knows what jody lang can go no one else it's really (laughs) impressive the way that he goes about it um but yeah no i just i think in that car any car of 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 that speed i just i don't know that i don't want to say that there's no one that could do what jody lang's done but i just i think it's undervalued how difficult it is to perform at the level that he performs in year after year race after race and I'm, I'm sure that it costs a great deal of money to go stock Eliminator Racing in any uh, facet. But at least from the outside, here's a guy that's doing it in a budget-friendly a way as you can do it and having success year after year after year, and this time finally breaking through to win the world championship. Um, it's just one of those things that I think as a, as a fan of sportsman racing has to make you smile really big.
1: Yep, no doubt, Luke. That's uh that was a heck of an accomplishment on Jody's part. We all know how talented he is. I I just got through saying to win in a class where you got heads up. You can't just be good, you gotta be fast too within your category. But one way to avoid that, which is the most unpopular way, is to just get in a class that hardly anybody's in. And that's obviously on down the alphabet quite a bit. That's what Jody's done. But I What's that? Lang stock automatic. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Oh, well, stock. So uh, he he did it the hard way for sure, but talent prevailed.
0: One thing that I think was interesting to note, if that sports nationals, I, I detailed this a little bit in the intro last week as well. The only driver with an opportunity to overtake Jody Lang coming into last weekend was Justin Lamb. And it was a long shot. But it's Justin Lamb. What had to happen was uh, Jody and Justin were both in the sports nationals. I think uh, coming into Thursday, they are going to round four of Stock Eliminator. They were slated to meet in round six if they both got there, the semifinal round. And obviously, if Jody were to win that round, it would be over. If Justin were to win that round, he would have to go on to win the final and then come back to win the six or seven rounds at the divisional then he could be the champion, right? So, in essence, they both controlled their own destiny. So, while it looked like, on paper, Jody Lang was absolutely in the catbird seat coming in, Uh, you can't feel secure in that. A, it's Justin Lamb. B, if you're familiar at all with Jody's history, and I detailed this a little bit, like he was in a similar situation years ago with Joe Santangelo. The only way that Santangelo wins the championship and Jody loses the championship is for Joseph Santangelo to win the Vegas divisional and Jody Lang stood on the starting line and watched the final several rounds as Joe Santangelo won that event and ultimately the world championship. So I say that said all that to say coming into the resumption of the sports nationals, I'm sure that Jody Lang's feeling the pressure. This round really stood out to me. This was fourth round, which was the first round contested on Thursday, right? They ran the other three rounds two weeks ago. Jody's paired up with his division six brethren Cal Method. Again, I, I think they may have gotten a time run that day, so I won't say it's a blind round, but this is quarter-mile stock eliminated cars in a windy Vegas. Cal Method, 20 on the tree, dead on with a six. Like That's the run that's supposed to eliminate Jody Lang. Yes. Jody Lang, 17, take nine, dead two. Like, when he won that, I'm like, oh, this is the year. right? This is when <laughs> – and that, that head-to-head matchup, with Lamb, didn't come to fruition. They both win round four. Justin loses in round five. Jody, I think, is two pairs behind him. When he sees the wind light come on in the other lane, he knows he is the 2020 NHRA world champion. But Jody Lang does not stop there. He goes ahead and puts icing on the cake by turning on those last three wind lights and not only winning the championship, but also winning the JEG Sports Nationals just as an exclamation point on his championship
1: season. Yeah, good for you, Jody. Doing it for uh, doing it for the guys that, you know, might not be able to afford a $150,000 uh, Copo or Cobra Jet or any of that other stuff. So, well done, sir.
0: A couple other notes from the Stock Eliminator Top 10. Young Parker DeVore finishes the season second. I know that you are familiar with Parker's exploits.
1: Yeah, uh, Parker uh, Sasquatch. Uh, he's, a, he's a big dude, real big dude, and uh, he's a foot brake racer. So, great to see Parker get into family Mopar and uh, get out there and get it done. He's, uh, he's a talented young man, very talented and great to see him get that top two finish.
0: And we talked about the the talent and the depth in the super stock top 10. It's a lot of crossover, a lot of similar names yes. here in the stock eliminator top 10, David Latino, Kyle Rizzoli, Justin Lamb, each respectively uh, finished the season top 10 in both of those categories.
1: Yeah. And it, it continued on, like I said, Luke and Superstock, you know, you, you, you had the same thing in stock rounding out your, your top 10, eight, nine, and 10 with Scott Burton, Gary Emmons and Jerry Emmons. And it just continued all the way down through the top 25 in that category as well, which is another testament to what Jody accomplished because uh, there's some big time racers and some big time equipment in that list. And, and Jody finishing on top was a uh, just extra cool. All right, let's switch it over to, uh, to my kind of racing,
0: the index classes, the super classes. Supercomp was not dramatic. Supercomp was, was interesting coming into the month of October, and then Christopher Dodd made it very uninteresting very quickly. Um, coming into October, it looked like a three-way fight between Dodd, uh, reigning, defending world champion Ray-Ray Miller, and Troy Williams Jr., And then Christopher Dodd, who already had accumulated three divisional event wins on the season, goes to the St. Louis National Event, wins Supercomp. As a side note, uh, defeated Ray-Ray Miller in round one and then went on to win the race. And then comes to Dallas, his home event, and wins yet again and puts up a, a massive, similar to, to Brian Warner, a massive 660-point score that wins the SuperComp World Championship just about every season, much less uh, a pandemic-shortened season. So Dodd basically ends up blowing the field out of the water with five wins in eight races. Uh, did not leave much to chance there at all. The aforementioned Troy Williams Jr. Uh, finishes number two. I do think it's notable, obviously, we're familiar with Troy and his bracket racing exploits. exploits. He's arguably the the winningest big-dollar bracket racing driver in the history of big-dollar bracket racing. He hasn't tried his hand at a lot of 90 racing. He's obviously, he's a former IHRA world champion. On the NHRA side, he's made a, a full-season run at a Supercomp World Championship twice. The other was, let's say, 2007 or 2008. He finished third. In 2020, he finishes second. <laughs> Pretty impressive for a guy that's a bracket racing specialist to just come in and, and have that type of success
1: in Supercomp. Yeah, very impressive by T-Rock. Um, obviously, he stays sharp by attending a lot of races, but that's a different game over there. You, you need some data. You need good people in your circle to help you figure out how conditions change and uh, what your car is potentially going and how to adjust the numbers from there. So just, uh, you know, I I would assume Troy understands all that really well, but probably lets talent take over a lot more than uh, history and knowledge in that category and and just about got it done. In theory, data would be very helpful.
0: I don't know that it plays a huge role in Troy's game plan. but
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I wouldn't (laughs) imagine. I wouldn't imagine so. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, I think the, the feel good note and one that we've harped on before, uh, from the top 10 in super comp when we looked through it is, a uh, former guest of the podcast show favorite James Conkle Conkle ends up the season ninth in the NHRA super comp world championship chase finishes in the top 10 in a door car also wins the division five championship by a, a large margin. Kevin McKenna informed me, to the best of his knowledge, actually recanted a, a previous statement when he did a little bit more research. James Kunkel is the first door car driver to finish in the NHRA top 10 in national super comp standings since 1992 when a man by the name of Mike Furderer finished second in the world. Trivia time, Big Jed. <laughs> Who did finish second to in 1992 who denied the last potential Dorkar 890 world champion
1: Who, luke that was 28 years ago that was um that's really nearly impossible for me to guess i would say in 92 it was steve cohen excellent guess it was edmund richardson Doggone, I almost said the king. I really did almost say that. I would have actually accused you of cheating had you gotten that. But yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't cheat. One word, Cohen finished.
0: That's a good point. We should, I, I, I might have, a, <laughs> perhaps we can dig that up by the end of the show.
1: <clears throat> yeah, maybe. <laughs> right,
0: super Supergas, we saved Supergas for last. Well, almost last. We'll get to comp as well. Supergas was the last category decided. Supergas actually went to the last day at the last race of the season and Division 6 runner Brian Presler is has been crowned your 2020 NHRA Supergas World Champion. Now, as this broke into that final weekend of competition, Presler was in the lead. Barely. And and in fact, this was the the story from SuperGas. The top five competitors in SuperGas at season's end were separated by just 13 points. That's just over one round of competition, the top five. The top 10 were separated by 48 points, less than five rounds of competition. Um, As it ends up, Presler's score... I, I didn't look this up. I, I feel fairly confident in saying that it is the the lowest score to ever win a national championship. Like 539 in a normal year isn't a guaranteed top 10. This year, I think it speaks to two things. Number one, the pandemic shortened season, right? And that you have, <clears throat> while we still got to claim our best eight races, uh, you got hit less throwaways. And I think it also speaks very highly to the competitiveness and the parity in Supergas, specifically in 2020. I mean, when you've got the top five separated by just over a round, that's pretty crazy, right? So coming into that last event at Vegas, Presler was in the lead by just two points, but uh, Jason Kenney and Greg Slack and Justin Lopes, the, the immediate followers were out of races. The one racer that had events left to claim that had a chance was Rick Cates. And he made up a little bit of ground at the sports nationals. I think he outlasted Presler by one or two rounds. So they come into the season-ending divisional event. Presler leads by 23 points. But Cates is improving a first-round loss. Presler improving a third-round loss. So what needed to happen for Rick Cates to win the world championship was basically two things. He needed to, at minimum, advance to round four of the divisional event And he needed to outlast Presler by at least one round. So advance to fourth round. If Presler's not in, you're the champ. If they're both still in, he's got to turn on one more win light than Presler. As it happened, both Cates and Presler lose in round two presler gets the world championship as i said before if that name sounds familiar brian presler was also the number two finisher in Supercomp a year ago behind ray ray miller so he's no stranger to the championship chase and absolutely came through in the clutch winning the divisional event like the first leg of vegas winning that race took him from outside the top 10 vaulted him into the lead a lead that he was ultimately able to hang on to interesting note when you zoom out a little bit on Presler season Jed like I said 539 not a not a monumental score obviously a world championship score in this season his divisional score was amazing he had three wins I believe he had 440 points in division which is chalk it up division championship any class any year in four national events he managed to win two rounds had first round losses at three of the four national events, advanced a third round at the other, but his divisional score was so strong that it was enough to win his first NHRA World Championship. Another interesting note from Presler's season, the first event at which he claimed points, the Sonoma Double in late July didn't stage for an NHRA race before then. Now, granted, on that side of the country, there weren't many NHRA races. Total. Yeah, it's just rare that you see someone start a points earning season that late and then accumulate enough points to to compete, much less win the national championship.
1: Yeah, like uh, incredible season for Brian, ending in the championship, obviously. And as you mentioned, the five thirty nine not uh, not a monumental score, partially due to the to the effects of. Covid nineteen and, and how it impacted the schedule, but also partially due to how, how freaking competitive this category is, with all of those racers down to the wire, eligible to, or, or with a possibility of of winning the championship, and again some of the top names in racing, so uh, super incredible to to see how tight that points race was, and, and I'm sure that's a little extra special for Brian to come out on top of that.
0: A couple of quick notes from the super classes: uh, John Laboost Jr. Val Torres, both top ten finishers in both 890 and 990. Pretty impressive feat there. Uh, one thing I want to circle back on, and uh, our, our loyal listeners, hashtag loyal listener will attest, uh, when NHRA first got back to racing, I went out on what I didn't think was much of a limb and said, this year's world champions will come from Division 4 and Division 2 simply because they'll get to make all the races due to government restrictions, like the, the, the landscape of racing. Like, that's what it looked like in May, in June, in July. Brian Presler and Jody Lang, and to a lesser extent, Brian Warner, Absolutely making me eat my words, right? Uh, I think I even went so far as to say there is no chance that a division six racer will win the 2020 world championship Two division six racers, won world championships in 2020, which is actually kind of astounding because as we've talked about in the past, Jed, it's difficult to win a championship from that part of the country for a couple of reasons. One, oftentimes the divisional events are short rounds. So even a win doesn't net as many points as, say, a win in other divisions. And then you've just got the, the landscape of the West Coast and how difficult it is to simply attend five, six NHRA national events from, say, Seattle. As I look back on 2020, the national event thing was absolutely an issue for both, of the, even those champions, both Presler and Lang, um, you could claim your best three out of five national events. They each were only able to make four national events on the season and only able to make that many because Vegas added a sports national late in the season. Right? So they're both one national event shy of filling the full quota. And I think it speaks obviously to their seasons and their willingness to, to travel. Cause I don't care. Like Jody didn't leave the West coast, but again, I've said this before. Those of us here on the East Coast, like, we just get spoiled because we see the states, like, okay, well, like, Washington to, to Pomona, like, that's just, there's only Oregon in between. How far can it be? It's like 20 hours. Yeah. I mean, it's 10 to driving from like New Jersey to Florida, right?
1: Yeah, it's crazy. So, uh,
0: yeah, so th- there's a lot of travel just to get anywhere on the West Coast. I will say, in retrospect, I feel like by NHRA taking away, the one event, uh, that you could basically throw out, you know, instead of it's your best five out of seven divisionals this season, instead of five out of eight, it was your best three out of five nationals instead of three out of six. I feel like that actually went a long way to leveling the playing field because it made it to where racers like Jody Lang and Brian Presler didn't have to drive to, I don't know, like Denver or Brainerd to get that, um, <clears throat> Uh, sixth national, which neither of those nationals actually happened, or even that eighth eighth divisional. I mean, in this season alone, to make a a fifth national from that part of the country, Jody did it by going to Pomona and Phoenix early, and then he made up the two Vegas races. That's only four. And the next closest race to Seattle, Washington, is what? Dallas? St. Louis? It's halfway across the country. Um, I think by shortening it one event in both, it actually, uh, in retrospect it was a really good decision by NHRA because it leveled the playing field and gave the racers from that part of the country a shot. And obviously Lang and Warner were able to Lang Warner and Presler were able to take advantage of that opportunity.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, just showing how things kind of got normal again, there's a lot of geography covered in that top 10, 12, 15 spots too, Luke for, people that that had a legitimate shot at winning it uh, pretty much across the country. So good decisions on NHRA's part the way they they set the schedules and, and changed their changed the their claims to help everyone have an equal shot and it obviously proved to work out very well.
0: Yeah, I would say it's safe to say and I'm also not surprising to say that the de- decision makers there deserve a lot more credit than I'm typically willing to give them. <laughs> and I don't think uh competition eliminator we don't normally talk about a whole bunch but craig bourgeois clinched relatively early this was interesting going into houston uh bourgeois won houston and clinched in the process uh and and everything after that was just in the aftermath he ended up winning by a relatively comfortable 70 points it's bourgeois second nhra national championship
1: and we were talking about this a little pretty much dominance in that category Yes, in, in
0: I don't know. There's a lot of cool cars in comp. I want to say the coolest car in comp, but Brad Ford might argue with me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I imagine Ford might think his buggy is the coolest car.
0: I think just about everybody in comp probably thinks that their whatever their chariot is the coolest car because there's a lot of unique one-off stuff in comp eliminator. But there, I I don't believe. There is another car in Competition Eliminator that has front tires that measure larger in circumference than those on the front of my motorhome, and Craig Bourgeois has me covered there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tire recorded history, and he's in a fast slingshot dragster that pops a wheelie. Like, it gets a ton of cool points, a ton of cool
1: points. Yeah, it is cool.
0: All right. We don't normally spend a lot of time talking about um, division championships, but I just i i had some time on my hands today. I was scrolling through, and I thought there were some noteworthy um, divisional champions in 2020 that I wanted to shed light on. First of which, out of Division Four, Aaron Stanfield. Like, how about the year that this young man has had? If you're not living under a rock, you realize that Aaron Stanfield not only won the factory stock world championship this year in relatively dominant fashion i think he won the last 3 events he also won his first nhra pro stock event uh, late in the season ran pro stock for at, at, for most of the season in addition to all that as if that weren't enough he's also your nhra division 4 top dragster division champion like what a multifaceted skill set i mean the Jed Coughlin comes to mind Was he won uh, NHRA national events in like six, seven different categories. Uh, To do what Aaron Stanfield has done this year, I don't know that you can get three more divergent vehicles to drive. You have a low six-second nitrous-assisted dragster in which you're using a delay box, leaving off the top bulb. A factory stocker, I think factory stock's on a pro tree, but I think you have to foot brake. Wouldn't swear to either one of those. And then obviously pro stock, which is a, a field of its own, and to display the talent in each of those three cars. At, I don't know how old Aaron Stanfield is, but he's under twenty-five. Really impressive.
1: Yeah, it is super impressive, Luke. And you know, I'm I'm loving what Aaron was able to accomplish. But I'm also loving this this pro stock to, to traditional bracket sportsman racing. Happening with a lot of people. I mean, I've seen Bo Butner at several races here late in the season. You got Jeg, which obviously does his share of both. Now, Troy Coughlin Jr. doing his share of both. Uh, Dave Conley, not, not currently occupying a pro stock seat, but could get in one right now and be competitive and, and does his share of bracket racing. So I don't know if the bracket racing is perfect for keeping your skills st- uh, sharpened in the pro stock world, but I'm loving how much of that we've got going on within that category.
0: I thought it was ironic to, it was Aaron Stanfield that, that ended the, the pro stock career of Jeg Coughlin Jr. Right. They ran in round one, um, at Vegas and Stanfield got the nod on a whole shot, which is an ironic way for Jeg to end his pro stock career. He's the He owns more whole shot wins in the class than anyone. And I I think by like double the margin. So it's, I I felt bad that it ended that way because that's so uncharacteristic. And yet at the same time, from Aaron Stanfield's perspective, like it almost felt like a bit of a passing of the torch, right? I mean, not to say, not to put the expectation on Aaron Stanfield that you're going to have a a Jake Coughlin Jr. type career, because that's not only a Hall of Fame career, like a, I don't know, top it's it's glidden it's shepherd and it's jeg right like top three in the class all time probably
1: probably yeah
0: i want to saddle in stanfield with that but if there was somebody that was going to beat jeg on a whole shot to end his career like it it feels fitting that it was stanfield
1: yeah and as uh, you know obviously did not end the way that jeg wanted it to end there but um man you gotta you gotta walk away from that career looking back going heck yeah i mean i i he, you know, I'm sure Jeg was uh, very confident in his career and expected to win, but when he looks back at what he's accomplished in that category and, and now that it's all over, he, he's he got to really be honest and say he accomplished probably more than he ever dreamed of. It's It's been an incredible pro stock career for him. Yeah.
0: I wasn't really going to use this platform to wax poetic on, on Jeg's pro career, but I just think it's cool. From a sportsman racer standpoint, I think I speak for just about everyone when I say this, but Jeg was always the guy that I rooted for, even before I knew him. Like, I'm, I'm glad to call him a friend now, but I was a fan long before I was a friend. And I always rooted for him because I thought that is the image of what a, a sportsman-based racer is capable of in that class. And I feel like we as a group, sports and racers really saddled jeg with expectations in that regard and for 20 plus years he seemingly never let us down like he was always the and this is arguable especially with what eric has done in, in the last decade but i feel like jeg was always the best driver or among the best two drivers in the class from the time he got into the time he got out and just never let us down and i i think that's what i'll remember about his pro career more than anything
1: yeah, I agree. Uh, I've always felt like he was, you know, one of the best drivers in the history of the category. And, you know, when Jake didn't get the win, I just instantly always blame it on the car. I mean, it's like, you know, well, the car must not have enough horsepower because you're just not going to beat, you're not going to outdrive Jake. It had to be a horsepower issue uh, just because of the amount of respect I have for his ability. So, Definitely uh, didn't, didn't plan on talking about his pro career. This is not typically what we do, but since he's one of us, I think it's fitting.
0: Absolutely. And while the, the pro career is coming to an end, uh, the racing career for Jeg is not coming to an end. A little birdie told me that we'll see a lot of Jake Coughlin next year, and I would imagine we'll be talking about Jake Coughlin a lot. Here on the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast, when that comes to fruition,
1: yeah, uh, I would think so, and I think Samantha's probably pushing for that as well. I think she's eager to get out there and, and get do some racing as well. So we should see the yellow and black quite a bit in the in the pits this coming year.
0: Always a welcome sight. All right, so we started that that conversation uh, talking about division championships and and how notable Aaron Stanfield's top dragster division crown is. Uh, another one that stood out to me. Trevor Larson, who hails from Minnesota, is your Division 7 Super Street champion. That's hard to do. I saw that and I thought, wait, wait, what? And then I <laughs> found the ledger. The story gets better. Okay, Trevor, as most of you are aware, a long-time uh, standout competitor, mainly in Super Comp, Super Gas. He's won in Top Dragster. He's won in Super Street. Um, but I would say his, his mainstays are the 890 and 990 categories. To that point, the first event, I, we noted Brian Presler's late start to 2020. Trevor Larson won the Division 7 Super Street Championship. Do you know, Jed, give me a guess as to when he attended his first Super Street race of 2020.
1: Oh, Luke. Um, I mean, you just asking me that makes me think it was August. The last weekend of September. Wow. The last
0: weekend wow. of September, Trevor Larson rolls into the double divisional event at uh, the racetrack formerly known as Gateway. Wide Technology Raceway at Gateway in St. Louis, Motorsports Park, International Raceway. So it's like the longest title in the world. Trevor rolls in there, Super Street, wins the second race of the doubleheader. For whatever reason, obviously there was some forethought that went into this because he claimed Division 7 when he got there. And the way that the rules read this year, again, a slight change for the pandemic was you have to attend two races in your home division. You don't necessarily have to claim them. You just have to attend two races in your home division. So obviously Trevor said, well, if I do any good here, I'll, I'll be in Vegas. I'll run super street there. So Trevor wins in St. Louis. Again, the last weekend of September goes to Vegas for that three week stretch. And in super street, the sports nationals counts as a divisional. So he's able to get the three divisionals. Again, you claim your best five out of seven. He's only claiming five. So he's throwing away. Nothing has the win in St. Louis. He gets a runner up in Vegas, follows that up with a semifinal finish in Vegas and wins the division seven championship, uh, in a month's time. Like there, there were races that there were competitors who accumulated points all season. Trevor Larson got all of his in like a five week span
1: (laughs) and wins. (laughs) I don't, I'm not looking at the results, Luke. I don't know who was number two in Division Seven Super Street, but they were probably sitting number one for quite some time. And I, I can only imagine when they looked that that day in September and went, "Oh, well, no! Hang on, here. we got a problem. Let me let me call the division office." Uh, yeah, this is number two in the points. Um, John Trevor Larson is now moving up the ladder in Division Seven. He's from Minnesota. I just wanted to you guys to get that correct you can you move his division or wherever yeah Yeah. Yeah. can you get him back to division five or wherever Uh, no sir Uh, he's claiming division seven uh, Uh, got richer yet here because coming
0: into the last division race the last weekend of the season um all trevor had to do was stage for round one to, to win the Division 7 championship. You're like, okay, well, that's a shoe-in. He had done enough work. You know, at that point, he'd been to four races. He had been in two finals, obviously gone rounds in the others. All he has to do is stage for round one. Cool. He's division champ, right? Except on his last time trial, he kicks the rods out. Oh, All he's oh my goodness. for round one, Jed. Oh, my goodness. Comes the Kenny family. He borrows an engine from uh, Jason and Al Kenny. They install it at the track get it running so that he can stage for round one and win his division championship. Except Trevor's not content with that with a new combination, completely blind, no idea what he can run. Trevor not only wins round one, he advances to the semifinal at that last division race of the season to just kind of stamp an exclamation point on the division seven (laughs) crown. Wow.
1: I don't know what the, the index is in super street at Vegas. Uh, I guess it's a it's a little on the slower side but
0: five I believe
1: I bet he could run way faster than that on that first run or two Luke
0: I have uh vivid memories of Brian Robinson's championship season we're in a similar situation um uh, Brian won the super gas world championship in 2004 and uh same deal he, he borrowed a motor from Mark Horton installed it for her first round at the Bristol national event and similar to Trevor, he didn't win the race. I think Brian lost in the quarterfinals, but when they figured the run completion best they could, cause I'm not sure Brian made it to the eighth first round under power, but best they could figure he was going like 9:40 something. And when I looked over his shoulder, as he pulled under the tower with six cars remaining, he had the same number in the timer. As when he went nine forty something first round, <laughs> it was just kind of the way that year went. And it,
1: I, would, just I would to make sure
0: <laughs> there that uh, Trevor's approach was was something similar. <laughs> so, congr- yeah. Trevor Larson, your Division Seven Super Street champion. Other notable Division se- Division champs: uh, Cody Lane up in Division Six. Um, not only your Super Stock Division Championship, but also competition eliminator. Uh, at least per my notes, was the only driver to double up with a pair of division championships in 2020. How about John Shaw, Big Jed? John Shaw, your Division 1 Stock Eliminator champion, also a top 10 finisher, John Shaw at the tender age of 77 years young.
1: Yeah, y'all want to know who's warming her up at 5:30, 5:45 a.m.? <laughs> it was John Shaw <laughs> and for good reason cuz he needed to get her tuned up and he gets it done in division one and top 10 national well done mr shaw
0: absolutely uh jeremy and ted romero that is a uh, father son or at least the way that i said it son father team jeremy is the son ted is the father they finished one two in division five stock eliminator points so they they pulled a, a warner family of their own at the divisional level pretty cool stuff for uh, jeremy and ted i believe they hail from the denver area and then another division five standout uh I, I've said enough on this show that you you wouldn't know that Matt Driscoll even runs Top Sportsman, except now I've said it enough that if you listen to the show, hashtag loyal listener, you should probably know that Matt Driscoll has been running Top Sportsman. Uh, he won the Division 5 championship in Top Sportsman. That's a former Super Comp World Champion. Uh, has been very close to being a Top Dragster World Champion, multi time top-ten finisher. Uh, shut doors for at least to my memory. He had like a a Super Street-style Camaro a couple years ago. Other than that, I don't remember Matt in anything but a dragster. Uh, he's obviously capable of driving things other than a dragster. Division 5 champion, top sportsman.
1: Yep, congrats to all those champions. Good stories behind that too, Luke. Nice breakdown of, of how that action played out. All uh, right, Jed, we got a
0: little bit of housekeeping to, uh, to kind of go back on. In the midst of this ridiculous swing of really now the last six weeks between the epic tour of million dollar races that see the finales of the NHRA season like there's just been a lot going on along the way we we skipped more or less a couple of big races that I think at least uh warrant some attention uh, the most recent being the SFG World Series at South Georgia Georgia Motorsports Park this was yet another race this followed the million by one weekend and so it it almost just continued that incredible string of big dollar races and just like the ones before it, this was a massive success from a promotional standpoint. There were 500 plus cars in South Georgia for the world series throughout the weekend. Uh, another impressive showing for SFG.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Great turnout by them. Definitely had some weather challenges, um, with hurricanes seemingly happening Luke, uh, every weekend. And there's, there's another one out there currently, but, uh, those guys battled through it like they always do, and, and it turned out to be a really good event. They they had a, a little 10,000 to win a little. Shame on me. They had a 10,000 to win, kind of a warm-up race to get things started. Uh, took them a little while to get that done, but in the end, Luke, Jesse Garcia got the win over often-confused Lester Adkins. Uh, our Lesters, us and our Lesters, get a little bit confusing at times. T- Jesse
0: Lester Adkins is not confused. I mean, Lester <laughs> is confused with Lester Johnson a lot, or specifically yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah.
1: But nonetheless, Jesse Garcia got it done, and just so happens, Jesse's hitting the bottom bulb. Now, I believe he's uh, letting go of the trans break, but he is the bottom bulb racer, and he gets that $10,000 win to start the week off right for the bottom bulbers and um, beat a, a tough competitor in Lester Adkins. So, you know, we're seeing more and more of that, Luke, as the bottom bubbers are are getting opportunities to get in the late rounds with the separation of classes. And then by the time they get done with their own category, the last bottom Bulber standing advances to the next round of Super Pro. And it's it's typically falling on down, you know, around five through seven, according to how many of the bottom bubbers are there. Well, they had their $50,000 to win main event next up on the schedule. And by George, now this bottom bulber has won plenty of stuff in his time. He's been a little quiet the last several to many years. Uh, Just hasn't gotten out of Florida very much. But arguably, not arguably, it's absolutely the best Portuguese racer of any type, bottom bulb or top bulb in the country, just so happens to be a footbreaker. Swapping feet was Manny Souza getting a victory over another Floridian and Claude DeBonis. Claude uh, come up a little short to Manny in the final round, and uh, Manny was uh, 13 and was one above, uh, so really good lap there. Claude was also 13 and was one above. Manny gets there just a few thou, but Manny making it back-to-back for the bottom bulbers, but this time collecting 50 G's Luke, he's won a $30,000 shootout at the world foot Brake challenge before when we had a, a 64 car shootout for 30 K and now his biggest win to date, a $50,000 main event getting by the super pro dragster.
0: Yeah. A little bit on, on each of those guys, uh, Jesse Garcia, Probably not a a household name until this weekend. It's a guy that I'm very familiar with, a semi-local up here. He's a St. Louis area racer that is obviously nasty on the bottom, rarely uh, gets out of this area, mainly at at the racetrack formerly known as Gateway. Uh, But seeing him win on that stage was no surprise to any of us that that race with him on a regular basis, particularly in the last few years. Jesse, really nasty at both ends of the racetrack. That was on display uh, down in South Georgia. And then Manny... Yeah, like particularly to those who have been around this sport for as long as we have, Jed, the, the name Manny Sosa is not that it's not a, a surprise when you see him win, even at this level. Um, we've watched Manny win five granders in, in a bluebird van, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> the, and to your point, that that $30,000 event at the WFC that Manny won at the wheel of uh the Nam and Chevy 2 uh, is one of if not the most impressive performances i've ever witnessed in person like i don't remember the numbers but i want to say he went through like five rounds of that event never being worse than 004 on the tree or something ridiculous
1: it was uh, definitely double o's round after round after round very impressive performance and uh, i don't know that uh, that i've seen anything that was any better than that luke i, I feel like i've watched the best ever get out there and do it round after round. And I don't know that I've ever seen anything better than what Manny did on that stage at that time. You know, that was, I don't even remember, but that was probably 10 years ago. Close and, to. Yeah. You know, you, you didn't, you didn't see those types of runs 10 years ago in foot break as often as you do now, but that, that stretch of runs, he made in that shootout be competitive in any time era uh that that you can think of and especially today i mean obviously it doesn't get any better than that and got that big win but a fifty thousand dollar payday for the footbreaker was huge especially uh manny you know a guy that hasn't got out and, and done it on the big stage a whole lot lately so very proud to see him get that win it was really cool and um as we talked about they've had they had quite a bit of weather challenges so they took the two twenty dollars races that were surrounding that 50 Luke and combined them to pay 40 on the last day and things ended really well. And Howard Westbury, uh, a guy that's got a Nova, uh, similar to mine, you know, uh, similar ETs and stance, uh, gets it done over dangerous Don Hansen. and Don, a guy that's been doing it for a long, long time, had a uh, few birthdays since his racing career started. So, you know, along with Dauber and a lot of these guys that are still out there competing on a high level, even after doing it for many decades. Great to see Dangerous Don getting that final round, come up a little short there with a the red light, but great to see Howard Westbury, a really good guy, get that big forty thousand dollar win to wrap things up. Yeah, you got you got Hansen, Dauber, Bastianelli, and they all kind of
0: run together. It's like team AARP. <laughs> yeah. And- to mess with those guys. I mean, yeah, I didn't want to mess with those guys for 40 years. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's cool to see each of them. And, and particularly in this instance, dangerous Don, turn on the wind lights. Jed, I, I'm getting to the point given Nick Hastings success, given Kevin Pollard's success, uh, Rick Bayer. I mean, you could go down the list of, of bottom bulb racers that have had success in these combined races. But I still, I am mystified every time that a bottom ball racer wins. It just blows me away. And, it, and for him to basically run the table here at South Georgia, I just, every time I say, I, I, I guess my thought process on that, and there was a time that the time is not today by any stretch of the imagination. There was a time, and, and a, there was a time for you as well, Jed. There was a time where I felt like I could hold my own on the bottom with anyone in the country. In, in that moment, if they had races structured like this today, I don't see a scenario where I would enter on the bottom. Like, I would just put the box in and race with everyone else because, yeah. I, like, yeah, I might have a better chance of making it to sixth round or something like that. But once I get there, like, my God, I want the delay box. Everybody else
1: is it. can I have one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've raised plenty of my share hitting the bottom in my heyday and on the top bulb in the top bulb classes around home loops. I'd never travel on a stage like they have today and think, you know, first of all, I wouldn't think I could get through the bottom bulb side with the sharks that are over there. And then secondly, if I did somehow screw up and manage to do that, then I've got to go race the, the guys that are hitting the top and running dead on every time. No, nah, I, I wouldn't even dream of doing that. And it, it's a testament again to, well, first and foremost, the promoters that are giving these opportunities to the bottom bulbers because While it's super impressive what they've done, Luke, the the way they've competed and won their share, You know, if you had to do that nine rounds in a row, the odds go down significantly, even for the best of the best. So shout out to the promoters that have created the formats that are allowing these bottom bulbers to get in their rhythm for five, six rounds, and then jump over there with what's left in Super Pro and take their shot at this big money, and a lot of them, the, the Kevin... Pollards and Nick Hastings and those guys that that have got their share of that big money is cool to see but um, definitely a testament to their confidence and their ability level on the bottom these days to go out and compete on that stage with the you know the same investment that everybody's having to make to compete for those big prizes and they're doing it battling each other tooth and nail and then rolling over into the super pro side and collecting some big checks uh, i couldn't love it more
0: Now, to your point on the on the promoter and this is now beginning to have an impact maybe slightly on a smaller scale but similar to what we saw when they began dividing door cars and dragsters like it brought at that time i felt like it brought the door cars out of the garage out of the barn you know what i mean they, they, they oftentimes didn't feel competitive Got them back out racing, and now it, it seemingly most of the races that I go to, the door car side outnumbers the dragster side at these big big dollar events. Yep. And now I I just feel like, and and a lot of it is due to the success of the Kevin Pollards and Nick Hastings uh, on down the line. Seeing these guys not only get through the bottom box, bottom bulb portion of the field, but then go on to win the big money, it just seems like we've got this influx now of, and and I guess for the most part it's kind of a traveling crew made up of mostly the same racers at most of these events, but you see them easily filling the, the no box portion of these fields and really dramatically improving these events for everybody.
1: Yep. I agree. You know, it's obviously helping their car count is creating more entry fees coming their way, making it a little easier to pay these big purses and, you know, creating a, an opportunity and and a, a format for bottom bulbers that, you know, they wouldn't have, take been able to take advantage of uh, you know prior to the last five years or so so really enjoying it Uh, the only thing i i guess i would like to see different because i think it's keeping some of the the foot brake racers out of the game is to have a format that would allow the deep staging uh, the deep staging foot breaker to compete and then fall in with the top bulbers and still be able to roll it deep I think a good conversation with your opponent would eliminate any games and and create you know an opportunity for some more people to get involved. So I doubt I'll ever see that loop unless Steve and I or, or maybe uh, Michael Beard and Anthony Walton or or somebody like that does a race of this magnitude. I, I don't think the promoters are willing to go that far, but hopefully somebody listens and sets it up where maybe some uh, some ace deep stagers can come out and take their shot.
0: I agree in theory, but I am with you on the hurdles of that. Like, I just think it's a tough sell you myself, anybody that's had any bottom bulb experience racing against deep stagers. This, this would not be an issue. I just feel like there are so many top ball racers that have never done that, that have never seen someone deep stage in the other lane that, and I don't mean this in a negative manner Are just ignorant to how that would even work and look. I, I just, I think it would be a really difficult thing to actually pull off.
1: Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I totally understand why the, the promoters aren't uh, putting that in their rules. Um, and quite frankly, if, if I'm a starter and I've started, you know, my gosh, thousands literally of pair uh, throughout the day or the weekend and now there's you know hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars on the line, and and I've got to manually start it. That's not where I want to be either. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to be the guys having to hold that and get that right from a timing standpoint. So I get it. I understand why that probably won't ever happen.
0: The other um, event that we want to look back on, and this one's actually several weeks in arrears. Now this happened prior to the OG Million, the week prior, right? was the yep. fall at las vegas <clears throat> so we didn't really get to to spread any love to the west coast thought we would at least uh briefly hit on the results from that event um the one thing and i don't want to overshadow the results perhaps i should save this till, till after we list through the winners but this was a relatively low car count at least significantly low in comparison to the sprinkling millions which this was not a similar event and you don't have the East coast presence, you really don't have the traveling presence in, in general, right? For a variety of reasons in, in, in late 2020, the, being part of it, but uh, obviously outside reasons to that as well. I think that the the total car count was just over 200 each day for this. And so it's easy to look at that in kind of a vacuum and say, well, from our perspective, jet here on the East coast, things are different on the West coast. Like it's a, in 2020, like it's a whole different atmosphere. It is uh, more difficult to travel. People are less willing to travel. And I would take that as justification for a uh, a lower than, I think, I think, I, I think it's safe to say even on Pete and Kyle's and a lower car count than expected. But then you look at the, the NHRA races that um, followed and everything was sold out, like huge turnouts, which is kind of back to what we saw a decade ago on the West Coast, that these guys the, the racers out there will support the NHRA stuff and, and nothing else that the tide had seemed to be turning on that in recent years, but um, the two events that obviously the fling event and then the event that Kyle Cycle put on at, at Sonoma, not particularly well attended um, Forsyth tried to put together a, rate, a race late in the season. that just didn't get enough support to even pull it off. Um, I just, it, it's, it's interesting to me and I don't completely understand What's going on on the West Coast as it regards to, to bracket racing?
1: Well, Luke, I've got a, a theory on that. Um, certainly, you're talking about an area of the country that probably is experiencing more restrictions than any, I guess, confined area, you know, any specific geographic area anywhere else in our country. Uh, I think employers are putting mandates on their employees that uh, they're the going out of state and traveling and certainly being in large set, large groups of people in those type settings. So I, I think that's probably had a major impact on the West coast races because they're as good as they ever were. And as far as the fling, I don't know. I haven't talked to the guys about it, honestly. Um, only conversations I've had with them is, has been solely about um you know, me stepping back for 2021 and and, uh, who knows how long after that, but the borders being closed had a major impact on the the Vegas race, both both borders, because you, you get a lot of the, the team Mexico racers that come up. And I mean, a lot, you probably got 25 of those guys that come up out of Mexico and there's probably 40 to 50 out of Canada so that had a major impact on that event and you know I don't think they expected much more than 300. I really believe that's kind of where they thought it was going to land and I think it got to 234 so it is low in terms of the standard that they have set on the east coast and the west coast when they've had an event but for all intents and purposes I I believe it landed at best just slightly short of what the guys expected and had the borders been open I'm not sure it wouldn't have got all over their number. So just uh tough circumstances out there on the West coast. And, and I think it had, a, it's, it's uh, it was the major impact on that. I, I don't think it has anything to do with uh, the West coast spirit and, uh, and their desire to go race.
0: Yeah, I, I hope not. And I, and you bring up some really good points. Hopefully um, those obstacles, those hurdles are significantly lower in 2021 We'll all keep our fingers crossed that we can get back to some sense of normalcy. I don't know if that'll happen. I don't know if that'll happen sooner than later, uh, but if and when it does, we'll get a better gauge on that for sure. Um, Jed, results from the fall fling at uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway.
1: Yeah, they had uh, some smaller races. They had a couple of 10ks. They had a 50k and a 100k shootout uh, in the the 10ks. Todd Piper, a guy that everybody out that way uh knows knows well got the win over gary uh i look i i don't i guess this is warnier maybe i got uh, you sure yeah we'll go with that um but anyway todd piper was the 10k winner there the other 10k was a funny car chris northrop uh, getting the win over joe levitt a funny car knocking down the door there and getting a Uh, A nice final round. He's been traveling around quite a bit and hit the the East Coast big ones and went back west and got it done. The 50K final, Funny Car Chris showed up once again, coming up a little bit short there with the runner-up spot in the 50K final round. Sean Schaefer got the win over him, Luke. And Sean was doubled in the semis, uh, basically had to pair himself while Funny Car Chris had to buy to the final. So Sean gets a, a win in the 50K final and the lone semifinal uh, spot. So obviously a very good day for Sean Schaefer and a guy that's no stranger to the, to the Winter circle out there in that part of the country. And Funny so- Car Chris with a couple of final rounds, a 10K win, a 50K runner-up was a really big deal for him. Luke, you was going to say something?
0: So if I understand you correctly, the only person capable of beating Sean Schaefer in the $50,000 event was Sean Schaefer. That's the way
1: it appears. Yes. And, uh, 18- that
0: final round matchup is unquestionably the two hottest drivers at the track. You got funny car, Chris coming off of a win the day before Schaefer, who at that point had been what 15, 16 consecutive rounds seeing the wind light come on. Then they square off in the final Schaefer gets the win. Um, I think safe to say the richest win in his career that includes a lot of big dollar bracket wins and caps off what has been a, a, another phenomenal season for Schaefer. In addition to his bracket success, he was your division six champion in Super Street. believe it's the first year that he seriously chased Super Street and absolutely run roughshod shot over the, uh, the division six Super Street category in 2020.
1: Yeah, he's definitely one of those West Coast guys that um, you don't get to see a lot out here at the big money races, but when there's a big stage out there, he shows up, shows up well. Uh, so congrats to Sean for another huge win on the, on a big stage. But Luke, I guess the, the main event, if you will, was a $100,000 to win shootout the guys put together. And when that was all said and done, Jim Glenn... Got the win over Gabriel Torres. Uh, the Torres family certainly always seems to get their name in the middle of big final rounds, and no matter what, if it's on the NHRA side or the, the bracket side out there, they seem to be always performing really well. But Jim Glenn cut him one win light short of that hundred thousand dollar win. I, I'm, I don't know Jim's racing history, but I would assume that's his biggest win to date. So huge. Hundred thousand dollar victory for Jim Glenn out there in Vegas.
0: It's safe to assume you win a hundred grander, should be the biggest
1: win of your career. Yeah, yeah, it it would be for most. I mean, if your name's Williams or Triplett or somebody like that, it it might not be, but for the most part, for most everyone else, it is. And I'm sure that was for Jim. So, all in all, it looked like a great event. Um, I think the guys uh, enjoyed probably a little slower pace. Uh, They had been uh, really busy and had a lot going on back here at the East Coast races, so I think it all worked out well. They had a really good time and was able to crown all the winners, so really good fall fling, and um, I think I've already seen now where they've got four races on the schedule, and the the spring fling million is returning to Vegas or, or on schedule to return to Vegas late March of 2021, so hopefully they get back to some normalcy there, too. All right,
0: Jed, let's close this out. I just We got a couple of random notes here on the ledger. Uh, first off, as speculated, I think for the last uh, three weeks, and as, as speculated here on the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast, uh, it's now official. The Million Dollar Race will move to South Georgia Motorsports Park on uh, what I believe is a five-year agreement between the Folk family and SGMP. Excited to see it move to South Georgia? Excited to see it move further from you?
1: <laughs> well, since I won't be attending, yeah, it would be much harder to me if it was an hour and a half down the road. So probably makes it a little easier for me to miss it, you know, and, and do the things that I want to accomplish in 2021. But excited for uh, the, the, I guess, the... Um, reputation of the event more so than anything Luke obviously a lot of challenges at Montgomery this year a lot of challenges there in years past um, some struggles just due to the the facility and and what it's capable of so uh, I believe South Georgia is going to offer uh, the million and the million participants Uh, an upgrade in facility. Um, We all know the staging lanes are relatively challenging there for dragsters, for a pile of dragsters. But Randy owns a a paving company and they have made an agreement to get together and figure out how that paving company can help the staging lane uh, issue or staging lane situation at South Georgia and maybe extend it on out the back you know, put some dirt in there and, and build up and make those lanes a little longer and a little straighter. And I don't see any reason why they won't get that done. So I believe the facility is going to offer the racers everything they need and offer the folk family everything they need. And certainly i um, looking forward to seeing how that all plays out. And hopefully the event gets back to a level, not car count wise, because it's all it's already been doing that for years but to a level that makes everyone feel like it's back among the premier in total because of the the, the event that the the venue that they're attending or that they're participating at and certainly everything else that goes along with a million so i'm hoping it gets back on uh, everybody's radar on that level and uh, the the move is a very positive one for them.
0: We're, we've reached the, the point in the season as we, as we essentially wrap up 2020 where most eyes are beginning to focus on 2021. Uh, a lot of dates have been set for uh, traditional events into next season, and now we've seen a handful of new event announcements pop up. Uh, I, perhaps the headliner of that being your own, Jed.
1: Yeah, uh, we, we definitely have uh, some big plans for 2021. It'll be our 15th year. Um, so we just decided to take our triple tens for the July, the fourth weekend, World Foot Break Challenge, BT World Foot Break Challenge number 15, and make it three 15s just to kind of, you know, tie all that 15 together, year 15, 15 granders. So that's going to be pretty cool. Um you know, not often do foot brake racers get the opportunity to compete for guaranteed $15,000 a day over three days. So we're really excited about that, and we're super excited about the fact that we've got a 15-year relationship with Bristol Dragway and BTE and the supporters that have helped us make the WFC a, a destination event for foot breakers around the country. And then Luke, our uh, Labor Day 100K was really good to us in t- 2020, and we're super excited to to let people know that we're bringing that back. Um, it's going to have a little twist to it, a little different than Steve and I have ever done. We're going to have a, a progressive payout based on car count somewhat. It will guarantee $100,000 no matter how many cars are there. It will be the BT Labor Day 250K instead of the 100K but it will guarantee 100,000 dollars, no matter what. If we get five people there, uh, those five will battle it out for 100K to win. But once we had 275 in 2020, we saw that that was a, a successful number, and you know didn't get us hurt. So we set it at 275. Anything above that, in 25 entry increments, it's going to have the potential to pay up to 250,000 dollars to win. If the car count gets in the upper four hundreds and that's on the flyer, how, how the progression works and the payout and based on cars. But, you know, I guess the key is it's going to be a hundred thousand to win no matter what Luke. And, you know, if the racers show up big time and we get a very, very large car count, then the opportunity is going to be there for a foot brake racer to leave Bristol a quarter million dollars heavy.
0: Awesome. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be awesome. And uh, it's, I think it's cool that you guys are putting that together to uh, continue to increase the, uh, not only the purse, but the prestige and the uh, the awareness of foot racing racing uh, across the country. So kudos to you, you. Uh, Another event that really just kind of caught my eye. Uh, and I don't know that they've completely really the details just yet, but um Tyler Bohannon, Brian Whitworth, and I believe it's my understanding at least that, that Bo Butner is involved on this involved in this at some level, uh, have combined to put together a, a massive uh, stock, super stock combo race. It's coming to, again, the racetrack formerly known as Gateway, uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway in St. Louis in uh, early April. I think it actually, the, the opening days of the event, maybe the last day of March. Um, the headline was $225,000 to win stock super stock combo events. Uh, Neat or taking, I guess, 128 cars in each field, which seems like a big number. Uh, it, well, it's it's a huge purse. That number is obviously big. Uh, the car count also big for for those specific, you know, NHRA legal type cars. The market is there for that. Um, now, historically, uh, events of that nature haven't been successful. Like we we've seen a handful of those be put on and or tried to put on in the past, and it just seems like in the past, that crowd has kind of been NHRA or bust. Now with that said, the timing feels right. Like it just, it feels like there is more pushback against the NHRA way of life than ever. And there's been pushback against it for like 20 years, but we all keep going, right? It it seems like if this is ever gonna work, it's gonna work now. And I think if it's ever going to work, it's going to be with people that have the connections in that type of racing that the Bohannon family, the Butners, the Taylors do. Like, I think if anybody can pull this off, it's them. Um, I think they've really got their finger on the pulse of that community. I'm just anxious as a bystander to to see this play out and see – If it's just immensely supported or like, I don't really have a prediction. I could see this going a variety of different ways, Uh, but I'll be watching it really closely. And I think it's cool that they're putting something like this together. And to that point of just kind of providing uh, an alternative, I guess, to the racers, to the NHRA uh, format. Uh, I don't think that this event's going to be alone. It may well be alone in class racing and in the stock super stock variety, but I have heard rumblings of um, a perhaps even a, a series dedicated to Top Dragster and Top sportsmen. And I know PDRA does that to some extent now, but it's almost like its own little world over there. Like that stuff's super fast to the eighth. I, I, I don't know that your average competitive NHRA Top Dragster car can qualify at a PDRA event. Like it's a little bit different, yeah. um, but I've heard rumblings of that. And I've actually um, heard the possibility of some 90 racing being put together on like a big dollar level away from NHRA. So we shall see what develops in the coming months.
1: Yeah. it be interesting to see how that plays out. Definitely. Um, got some guys that, that have a little juice behind it and people that understand um, how to get that information to the racers. Uh, you know, that, that could be a challenge when the, the, the NHRA, typical NHRA racers not watching closely at the, the big bracket races and, and how that information is, is distributed to the racers. So these guys know the avenues in which to get that information to the, to the hardcore NHRA guy. So I think, you don't, It'll lend itself to good results.
0: You don't think that your 515 stock eliminator wake-up call guy has a valid social media account?
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they, uh, they might not be watching it as close, Luke. Uh, not real sure. I doubt they're on Tinder.
0: <laughs> a little bit different demographic, to, to be sure. <laughs> Um, last note on, uh, on the ledger here, uh, you heard Ashley at the end of last week's show, um, with the discussion with Kip Poole. He was our, this is bracket Racing.com driver series, no box champion in 2020. Uh, he's joined by Lane Savar lane won the top bulb championship in 2020. If you're not familiar with the driver series, what we did is we kind of put it together on a, on a beta level. Here in 2020, we had five racetracks uh, involved from across the country. It, it just so happens that both of those winners called Bremerton drag, uh, Dragway out in Washington home. Uh, but racers were able to accumulate points through a handful of events at their home track and then compete, uh, you know, essentially on a nationwide level for our national championship which was uh, twenty five hundred dollars cash uh to each of those winners and in fact on uh lane's end he got a thousand dollar bonus for being a member of this is bracket racing Elite. So a little bit extra money out of my pocket there but uh, happy to provide that to lane savar you've heard lane on the podcast before we'll have him on again soon uh but the uh, the series has officially ended for 2020. We've got big plans for 2021. If you want to uh, read a little bit more about lane, about Kip, about each of the top 10 finishers and the series itself, you can check that out at this is bracket slash driver series. Jed, that's all I got. You want to close this thing out?
1: Yeah, Luke. And uh, we didn't talk about this pre-show and I didn't put it in the notes. So uh, just been thinking about it as we go, but I uh, would be remiss if we did not mention that our good friend, uh, big nasty Kyle Seipel has announced that he's stepping away from Sonoma. Um, obviously Kyle's had some tremendous health challenges over the last couple of years. And, you know, those, that's been quite a roller coaster for him and his family of uh, those that they've had some good times and uh, those challenges are probably a re- little ramped up right now. And, Kyle uh, wants to spend more time with family and focusing on the flings. And when he's not doing those things, uh, you know, he certainly will have a lot dedicated to making sure that he stays healthy and, and continues this battle that, that he's had. So uh, the, the facility will miss him. I know he's done great things for their bracket program. I think they've even announced that they will not continue the bracket program for 2021 basically Kyle's efforts and his knowledge and abilities and connections was really what was holding that together. Um, so, you know, I hate that for the the people that choose Sonoma as their venue of choice for bracket racing. And, um, they'll have to certainly find somewhere else to go, but I respect Kyle for doing what he needs to do to make sure that, that he continues down the the road of the, gives him the path to success to, to beating this terrible disease. And um, certainly going to need all his friends and family's support as he continues on with that battle. So kudos to Kyle. Great job, uh, the, the time that he spent there at Sonoma. And I'm sure he'll be missed out there. But I'm hoping that it, it leads itself to the, the best results possible for him.
0: Yeah, I'll echo all of those remarks. Obviously, if you if you got a chance to read, kyle's uh facebook post uh it's obvious that uh, his priorities are in the right place i know uh it's a bummer for the uh the, the local racers there and that's obviously not a group that uh, that kyle ever wants to let down but uh you got to uh you got to put focus where focus needs to be and right now that focus is on getting big nasty back healthy
1: no doubt i think uh, faced with that decision we all would have made the exact same one so keep fighting big nasty we're pulling for you we're praying for you and we love you bud Luke, other than that, that wraps us up. Uh, number 204 is officially in the books, and uh, it's been a fun show. Uh, it's great going down the NHRA trail with you and hearing your breakdown of that. That's, uh, you had not got a chance to do a whole lot of that this year, but it was really good stuff as always, and uh, covering this little bit of bracket racing. You know the tidbits was a good time. We appreciate everyone listening and certainly appreciate the sponsors that help us bring the show to you each and every week. We hope that uh, you guys support them each and every opportunity you get, you know, we owe it to them to give them an opportunity to earn our business for the products and services that you're in need of that they offer. So certainly reach out to them as often as possible and um, definitely reach out to us here at the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast through our Facebook page. Tell us what you liked about the show, what you didn't like, um, what we got wrong, what we got right, what you enjoyed, whatever, just reach out to us and let us know you're listening and, Tell us what you would maybe like to hear less of, more of, whatever. We just want to hear from you and, and know that you're out there and you got suggestions for us. And if you like, like to go the Twitter route, you can do that to either Luke or myself. Luke is at Luke Bogaki, B O G A C K I. I am at JP11X. Luke, uh, I, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. I don't know if you got shouts or if you just, you kind of over it for this one or, or where you at on that.
0: Shouts to the Portuguese dream that's Manny Sosa shouts to Lester Adkins shouts to Lester Johnson <laughs> to uncle and his door car and to 28 years ago, Mike Ferderer and his door car shouts to the undertaker at open shouts to the AARP and to John Shaw shouts to the biggest front tires at the racetrack. And the smallest front tires at the racetrack. That's Craig Bourgeois and Jody Lang, both winning 2020 World Championships. Jed, I like to have fun with the shouts. I want to end on a serious note, uh, similar to uh, the information that you shared about our good friend Mr. Kyle Seipel, um, Division Six racer. Uh, part of our this is bracket racing elite family, a uh, man by the name of Frank Sucoast. Uh, within the last week. Uh, Frank got the call that I think all of us as parents dread more than anything. Um, Frank's 16 year old daughter was killed in a, in a highway accident. Um, I think it was, uh, there's several uh, young women in the car, three of whom lives were taken, including Frank's daughter. Um, Our good friend, Jed, Steve Kelly started a GoFundMe for um, Frank and his family. Uh, I, I know at this point that's, Little solace, um, but it's something that we can do, and I wanted to share here. Uh, we'll put that the link to that GoFundMe in the show notes uh, if any of you um, want to reach out to Frank, support a racer in need at at you know probably the darkest hour, um, we'll include that like I say you can check them out in the show notes, and we'll make a post on Facebook as well.
1: Yeah, thank you for mentioning that Luke uh, I was not aware, but uh, certainly something that we all fear. Uh, those of us who have children and uh, something i couldn't imagine having to go through so certainly have that family in our thoughts and prayers and hopefully they go GoFundMe will um definitely lift them up in whatever way they need lifting to help them get through this and certainly take care of some obligations that they'll have that that they've never wanted or dreamed of having so um get that link posted and you guys visit it and do what you can every little bit helps and i'm sure the family would be very appreciative and thank you to our buddy steve kelly for for getting that rolling and that does it guys we've certainly enjoyed the show enjoyed talking to you about sportsman drag racing we can't wait to do it again next week thanks for tuning in we'll talk to you soon about more sportsman drag racing
0: It's November and that means that it is time for the annual BTE Black Friday sale. If you are in the market or in need of transmission, torque converter, related components for your race car this off-season, this is the sale that you do not want to miss. 20% off essentially all BTE products, the only thing excluded is uh, complete gear sets included are complete transmissions, torque converters, and just about every related component that BTE makes. It's 20% off. This month, Uh, we're taking orders now at thisisbracketracing.com. You can also order at bteracing.com. Most orders will not ship until after Black Friday, but they will ship in the order in which they are received. So again, take advantage. Thisisbracketracing.com. We've got the promo code on the website there. Elite members get an additional 10% off. So if you're an elite member listening to this, you know your promo code as well. Be sure to take advantage of that. BTE Black Friday sale now through the 27th. For most of us, the season is over. It's time to decompress. And while there is definitely value in that, at some point, we also want to remove ourselves from the season, look back, analyze exactly what we did well, and what are the areas, the opportunities in which we can improve. If you take the time to pinpoint those, assuming that you are a racer who sees areas of potential improvement, and I think there are potential improvement, areas of potential improvement for all of us, This is Bracket Racing Elite can help you take the next step toward getting to where you want to be, toward becoming the best version of yourself on the racetrack. We only open enrollment to This is Bracket Racing Elite twice a year, but mark your calendars. Our off-season open enrollment is quickly approaching. We're going to open the doors on November the 23rd. That is going to be your opportunity to join This is Bracket Racing Elite. Enrollment will be open for two weeks so learn more this is bracketracing.com/elite